Hello, and welcome to Marketing Week Explores. I'm Molly Fleming, a reporter for Marketing Week, and I'm joined by features writer Matt Barker and acting features editor Charlotte Rogers to chat about all things B2B marketing and Marks and Spencer's iconic It's Not Just Food, It's M&S Food ad. But first, Matt and Charlotte, you've both been delving into the world of B2B marketing for this month's magazine. Um, Can you talk me through the feature? Yeah, I wrote two features this time. One was on accounts-based marketing, which is a very kind of specific um, type of B2B marketing. Uh, as, as the name suggests, it's all about sort of targeting key accounts. Um, and the other one was looking at people who've basically crossed the floor, who've sort of gone from B2C to B2B marketing and, and the differences they found, or more often the case, as, as, we'll, as we'll discuss later, the similarities. I um, wrote a feature about creativity and effectiveness in B2B, so kind of um, trying to break down those um, misconceptions that actually B2B is boring, it's not creative, um, and it lacks emotion. And I do feel that B2B marketing has a reputation for not being very creative. Is that fair? It definitely does have that reputation. Um, I think it isn't fair. No, I think it's not warranted just because you're not Coke and you're not kind of talking to um, a global population of people. You still have to have an emotional and creative message because behind every business is human beings making decisions. Um, So I think emotion is just as important. Now, you spoke to George Schmidt, Vice President at B2B Fintech company Tide. What did he think about the creativity stereotype? He was really interesting because he just kind of sees B2B and B2C in a really fluid way. Um, And he doesn't kind of see the reason why um, you shouldn't have creativity or emotion in in B2B. Um, And he talked a lot about this kind of um, benefit that they're seeing as they evolve as a business of really bringing um, a creative and quite personal message into their um, ad campaigns. For us at Tide, it it was really... The challenge was that B2B uh, in, in, in the sort of financial markets and, and, and banking specifically had been neglected by high street banks. And actually, when we when we started this journey with Tide, it was quite easy to, to sell it, as it were, in, on, on our unique selling, selling points. So the fact that you don't have to go to, to a branch, you don't have to submit a business plan, uh, I mean, the, the sort of key differentiators made it very easy to to sell it initially. And then obviously, as in any competitive market, we we had other players enter the scene. And I think as that's happening, that's when you have to transition more towards uh, emotion. And this is where we focus a lot uh, on our members. So why two years ago, we we definitely would have focused on uh, the ease of opening an account, uh, the how how it's cheaper and you know better than than what you would normally find on the high street. Now we're moving towards uh, emotion, and and I think we're currently maybe we're at a fifty fifty split. And as we evolve, I think it's quite normal to to focus more and more on on uh, what differentiates us as a brand. And for us, that's very much around our members. All of our members are small business owners. They're entrepreneurs, they are pursuing their dreams. It's, it's uh, an extremely rich source to use for our advertising. We often talk about emotional marketing versus effectiveness. Is that something that you discussed with George when it comes to B2B? Yeah, definitely. So what they've done at Tide is um, they've kind of moved their marketing in a direction that is more emotional and it's more focused on the members. So it's more focused on the entrepreneurs that already have a Tide bank account and talking about their a journey to actually starting their own business, which is in itself quite an emotional decision. And there is the Lesbonet and Peterfield research on B2B uh, in collaboration with the LinkedIn B2B Institute says that um, 
In B2B, the split between emotional and rational marketing is about 46% um, emotional to 54% rational. Um, in B2C, it's more like 60-40. So they're saying that while it is slightly um, more rational than B2C, emotion plays a really big part. I would go back to, again, social media. So because it's extremely controllable uh, uh, how much you spend, how you spend it, and, and what sort of test you can carry out, you can definitely see that something that hits the right emotional note, it will have higher engagement. And at the end of the day, we acquire more businesses if, if, we, if we use those creatives. And while it's very easy to do that on, on social media and, and some digital platforms, it's not impossible to do that in offline media. So what we're looking at currently is, is uh, you know, comparable cities and towns across the UK where we can test different creatives and see regional uplift. So while it's quote-unquote easy on uh, social media, we want to make sure that, that we make efforts in offline and make sure that those results are, are similar and, and that they uh, uh, reaffirm each other. A question I often put to big brands that are B2C is about the need to balance short-term results with long-term brand building. Is that as big an issue for B2B? Yes, I think there's a perception that B2B brands are much more short-termist. They're much more about chasing an immediate sale rather than long-term brand building. But actually, recent research from effectiveness experts, um, Les Bonnet and Peter Field, suggests that B2B brands should balance their budget 50-50 in terms of short and long-term. And this is something that I discussed with George. I think we are quite happy for now, how, how, we, how we split the strategy for now. And uh, we come from a performance background. So when we, when we spend on marketing, we, we need to see results. It's important for any startup to show results, especially while um, you're based on uh, outside funding, while you're trying to be uh, profitable in, in the long term, not just on a unit economics basis. It's very important to show results. So whatever we put out there, we expect an immediate result or, or some form of a short-term result. And if there's a long-term halo effect, that's fantastic, but that's that's almost secondary. So I think it's going to take a long time before, before we even consider moving away from that. I know we've spoken about creativity and emotional marketing when it comes to B2B, but Matt, I'm curious, when you spoke to George, was he surprised moving into B2B that that was the case? No, he wasn't. Uh, what, what he discussed with, with us was about how um, working in the B2B sector has certain different types of creativity, I guess. There's a creativity in building relationship with the client. There's a creativity in, in having these targeted accounts and, and consumers and building these long-term relationships um, and involving personalization and with that, personality. What's amazing in, in, in B2B and at least at least in our case, is that all our members are, you know, real people, as, as, it, as it tends to happen with, with most uh, customers. And if you think about it, there are up to 6 million uh, businesses in, in the UK. 99 odd percent of them are small businesses. So, um, you know, one out, of, one out of 10 people in the UK will have some sort of a small business. It's, uh, it's, it's literally, it's, it's, it's mass marketing, really. It's, it's 10% of, of, of the population that we're trying to address. And I really think that it's quite similar to B2C marketing. I keep talking about B2B and B2C, but I know that George actually disagrees with those terms. Why is that? Just that there's, 
a collapse of, of these terms, you know, in, in, in terms of this the sort of meanings, you, you, nothing's so black and white anymore. There's a real movement, especially in the States, with a lot of the West Coast kind of um, techie guys, the, the sort of tech giants, to start talking about business to people rather than B2B or B2C. And it's all about relationships. And then actually B2B, it's kind of marketing in its purest form, if you like, that it's targeting people, that it's building relationship that it's giving them what they want, finding out what they want, giving them what they want. A lot of this also comes down to things being so data-driven um, as they are now, that we've, we've got all these sort of points that we can we can look at and, and say, this is what we do, this is what we've been doing, this is what we will be doing. Um, it's basically marketing changing with technology, I guess. If you look at purely the, the number of SMEs, again, in, 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 in the UK, it went from 5.7 million now to 5.9 million. I think it's going to keep going up and up and up. And it's also maybe a generational uh, change that uh, millennials or your you know, chosen generation, they are increasingly looking for fulfillment in, in their jobs. They are, they are not settling for a nine to five that simply pays the bills. They want to go on and start their own businesses, do their own thing. So I think there's, there's a cultural and, 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 and social uh, shift towards starting your own business. And for that, again, to be B2B uh, right now, it's great. But as you said, the distinction between B2B and B2C is probably it's time to, to fade away. I feel like I've learned quite a lot about the stereotypes of B2B being wrong in terms of emotional and creative marketing. I'm curious, do you think that that's an issue for the industry as a whole, especially when we're looking at young people getting into it? Yeah, I think there might be a perception problem amongst young people. You know, they kind of go into university, maybe they're studying marketing, and all the case studies they see are like Coke or Netflix or, you know, brands that they interact with on a daily basis, and that becomes really aspirational for them to go and work for those brands. Um, And maybe there's an issue around they're not being exposed in the same way to case studies around great B2B marketing, and that could stop young people um, thinking that that is a career destination for them. Now, Matt, I know you spoke to someone about something I'm very excited about, which is one of my favourite campaigns, M&S's. It's not just food, it's M&S food campaign. You spoke to Jude Bridge, who was the Director of Marketing Communications at M&S at the time, and is now managing partner at our sister brand, Oyster Catchers. Yeah, we had a really good chat with Jude, actually, um, talking about the, the campaign, how it came together. One of those campaigns, it just came across really, really quickly got up and running really quickly and, and as we'll see um found really quick results actually so it was a bit of a dream so jude um if we go back to 2004 2005 when when the campaign was sort of first conceived and and, and was first sort of a was at the drawing board basically mns it wasn't would it, i guess it would be wrong to say it was in trouble but but there, there were sort of rumors of takeovers mm-hmm. um there were a lot of competition at the time um and I guess really the campaign was about reasserting confidence in, in the brand, wasn't it? Yes, definitely. You know, when Stuart joined uh, the business, he came with a very clear um, sort of mission, which was to modernise uh, M&S and not to change it, but to modernise it. Um, and the campaign that we developed, that was very much sort of part of that vision uh, to reassert M&S's position of quality but accessible quality, um, and really, again, to make MS sort of part of the public discourse. Yeah, and, and like all great campaigns, it had a wonderful simplicity to it, didn't it? Yeah. Um, where did the idea come from? Because I, I spoke to one of the guys at the agency, mm. and, and he basically was saying that one of the team had nipped out 
to the M&S on, I think it was Camden High Street, to go and get his lunch and, and came back with a chocolate pudding. Is that how, how you remember it? Uh, well, you know, it's one of those uh, sort of myths and legends where it came from, but certainly with a very, very tight uh, sort of team with uh, what was then Rainy Kelly. Um, but Steve Sharp, who's the um, sort of marketing director at MS, had a very, very clear creative vision, uh, which was very much about sort of really reasserting MS's sort of quality credentials. And the idea that, um, you know, no other retailer would dare to get as close to the food, you know, the beauty and the, the of, of the food. And almost, you know, as I've, uh, I've always said, you know, the, the brief really was we, we really want people to lick the telly. Mm, yeah. Um, because the quality delta, so your M&S food and the rest of the high street, uh, it was our confidence in that. Um, that I think really uh, sort of drove that campaign. Yeah. And the chocolate pudding uh, was one of those wonderful M&S products. It had been, uh, you know, part of the range for, uh, for, for quite a long time. Um, but when, um, when you looked at it, you know, others were doing chocolate puddings, but M&S was doing a double Belgian chocolate melting middle mm-hmm. uh, pudding. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of visual. Uh, yeah. Yeah, qualities as well made it made it very very um, sort of uh, think emblematic of the uh, sort of quality of MS food. Sure, because at, at the time, as as a nation, we'd, we'd kind of got a lot more kind of foodie orientated, didn't we? I mean, in in, in the past, we weren't too bothered about ingredients, but it's just mm-hmm. when um, there were restaurants opening everywhere, chefs on the telly, mm-hmm. um, organic food w- was a big thing at the time. So it really kind of dovetailed nicely with that, didn't it? But there was, as you say, there was. It, it's this back to this word of confidence again. It's it's just putting a chocolate pudding or roast potatoes, mm. extreme close up, slow motion. Yeah, you know it, it, I, the, the, the sort of cliches that it was food porn, but it was it was it was it was this wonderful kind of statement. Mm. So everyday products, you mm. know, really kind of demonstrating the sort of the the extra, the extraordinary M um, and uh, S ingredient mm. or that, that really sort of made it a, a, a wonderful uh, experience and I think the um, the other thing of course was the um, dine-in for £10 really mm. spoke to that you know have uh, to that that idea of sort yeah. of you can have restaurant quality yeah. in your own home you know M&S had always been for a lot of people a sort of Friday night treat mm. um, in the past and I think the sort of modernization of that was the you know dining yeah. at restaurant quality yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, we'll help you do that for £10. That's yeah. where that promotion came from. Yeah. Did it, as, as a campaign, was it sort of fairly quick to get off the ground? I, I, I got the impression from chatting you before that, that basically Steve sort of gave it sign off pretty much straight away. Everybody got it, yeah. what, what it meant and, and, and sort of... Um, I mean, I think this is, this was a, this is also a great story mm. about, um, you know, sort of seamless partnership working between client and agency. You know, we, Steve, uh, very, very creative, um, you know, very sort of clear, creative vision, uh, working very closely and with a tight team with Mark Rolfe, James at, uh, and the team at, at Rainey Kelly. Um, and, you know, drawing in the MS marketing team, so my, my uh, comms team, mm. we worked in a really uh, sort of seamless, tight way. Um, no sort of formal decision making. We just made the decisions on yeah. the spot. And that meant that we could move quickly at pace. But I think importantly, it meant that everybody had the same vision mm. for what we were trying to do. Yeah. And that was, I think, what was really special about it. And there aren't many... 
uh, times you really get that uh, that sort of absolutely seamless agency client uh, sort of way of working and yeah. I think it really is emblematic of that and what you know obviously my, my current role at oyster catchers we absolutely believe in and try and yes. try and foster but that's a super example of it yeah and also, it quickly showed results as well, didn't it? I mean, it was, is it kind of the legend that the chocolate pudding sold out within a day or something like that? Yes, but, yes. Yeah. So by sort of noon the next day, yeah. uh, the shelf was empty. Um, MS had to invest in uh, additional production capacity. Right. Um, and it really kind of, I think, set the expectations of, um, you know, what advertising could do in M&S. You know, M&S traditionally in the past had not been a a big advertiser, but I Mm. think it gave the business uh, the confidence at at the right moment in time when Stuart was trying to move the business forward, but it also gave them confidence in marketing and advertising to help lead that, uh, you know, that renewal of the M&S brand. Now as ever, I've got two key questions for you both. Firstly... I want to know what can B2B marketing teach B2C? Yeah, I think what um, what B2C could learn from B2B is um, a sense of kind of creativity with rigour. So using data to make sure that you land a creative message. Um, and there are a lot of B2B businesses that are really thinking in terms of emotion because they understand that all these businesses are and decision makers within these businesses are humans. So they need to... Um, to create a message that resonates with people. And they do think um, about long-term relationships and nurturing those relationships. Yeah, there's a lot that you can teach B2C, excuse me, um, about building relationships, um, about sort of targeting um, consumer groups. The problem is it's it's really not that simple because, of course, B2B tends to sort of deal with smaller targets. Um, So it's not that transitional, but there are certainly plenty of lessons to be learned. And secondly... What is an iconic ad that you would love to get the inside scoop on? For me, it would be Compared to Meerkat. Um, we've had 10 years, just over 10 years, of kind of watching Sergey and Alexander and Oleg and all the family um, run around Coronation Street, go to Africa. Now they're in San Francisco. Um, as you can tell, I'm a bit of a fan. But um, yeah. I think it's been a really, obviously, it's a very effective campaign because it's been running for a decade. Um, it's spawned lots of different pro- like products and lot of kind of brand extensions. Um, and they seem to be characters that people just don't get bored of. They have real real legs. Um, so I think um, it would be great to find out a bit more about what it was like when the initial idea was pitched about meerkats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you, Matt? For me, it would be uh, Nike's Just Do It campaign, I think, for its simplicity, longevity. Um, the fact that those, those sort of three little words just sort of stand alone by themselves and have actually almost become a brand in themselves. Um, and it's, it's, it seems to have been with us forever, and, and, and indeed maybe it has for, for some, of, some, some of the younger listeners. Um, but yeah, Nike for me. Brilliant. Also, for anyone listening, if you have an inside story that you want us to get the scoop on, please do tweet us at Marketing Week Ed with your ideas. It can be a campaign, it can be a business, it can be a, a new way of working. We want to hear from you. We hope you enjoyed this week's Marketing Week Explores. You can listen to this and other podcasts, Marketing Week Meets, on SoundCloud, Spotify and iTunes. As ever, we're keen to hear your opinions about the podcast and anything else. So please do tweet us at Marketing Weekend. And if you want to read the content we've been discussing or get more of the best marketing news and insight, go to our website, marketingweek.com. That just leaves me to thank Matt and Charlotte and you for listening. <laughs>